doctors and three points of the art. They must have noticing it, but... Hmm. Dude, I probably inhaled like mm -hmm. nine pieces on the way here. Fucking hell, really? That's yes, bad. it's mm. it's terrible. And that's a great way to start. Episode, what is this, Kevin? Oh. Are we even going to give it a number? Let's call it the final, the grand finale. The grand finale. Because we will talk about that later, but this is episode 153, I imagine, of the Overclock ZA podcast, South Africa's most accessible consumer technology podcast. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host and graceful servant in technology. <laughs> and I'm joined, as always, by the editor of the continent's largest consumer technology publication called Tech Magazine, Gavin Dudley. Step up to the stage, sir. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. So this is my somber turn, my artificially somber turn. Artificially somber. <laughs> we'll get to my somber turn later. Let us kick off um, with some news, Gavin. Mm. Take a lot news, break even. Yeah, I mean, can you believe that Take a Lot's been around as long as it has and has actually not turned a profit? Can you believe it? Okay, but I mean, their focus was to capture the entire market and they've effectively done that. They've locked out most of the competitors. They are bit players, but they really are the colossus of online shopping in South Africa. They, you know, they framed how the experience would work and so on. And on the back of that, you know, the supermarkets got it together to deliver things all over the place. Other little online stores stepped up. And um, more than that, I think a lot of people now view Take A Lot as a route to market for their product. If they can't get their product into a consumer retailer, then, you know, at least they can go the Take A Lot route. So Take A Lot has proved to be decisive for a lot of tech products, actually. Um, and the Take A Lot group is, of course, not just Take A Lot, but Mr. D Food, which used to be Mr. Delivery, and Superbalist, which apparently was on its last legs when they acquired it. But anyway, these are now a part of our online shopping landscape, both of those things. Uh, they they acquired Spree also in there. Yes, yes, yeah. more clothing stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't... I don't think take a lot that represents a net good you for don't society because hmm. i think they 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 they're pricing monopoly now as okay. is evidenced by their blue dot sale which is never really quite a sale yeah it's more like hey we just invented this discount yeah out of nothing but it's not really a discount because we just put the prices up and then brought yeah, them back, brought them back down yeah <laughs> so there's actually an app someone's invented an app that tracks that stuff now stuff yeah. now so you can put in to the app the great deal you think you're getting on black friday or blue dot sale or whatever it is and it will tell you if this was priced lower before so it's a bit of a bit of a giveaway it's <laughs> very cool um so um take lots going great guns though i mean they have uh, climbed 44 percent in rand terms, what they're actually moving every year. That's like nearly 50% growth. It's outrageous. Uh, and despite all that, they are still running at a trading loss of 2 million US dollars, which obviously you're going to multiply by 15 or so. Um, that's still a lot of money to be short, you know, when you're the dominant player in the market. But obviously, they're seeing that gap closing all the time. I don't know if COVID has made it, has brought the date closer to when they will break even, but that is the fact. What is a trading loss? Um, I don't know. I should know, but I don't. I think it just means shortfall um, loss. You know, it's just, it's how much your uh, profits are, have have exceeded or not exceeded your costs, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah well, ugh, they're still growing. They're doing a lot of logistics things. They're putting a lot of things in place. I think there's still a ton of money being spent on that on mm. electronic experience. Um, they obviously working with other partners like um, 
Azal for their payment side. And mm. like, I think they eventually just going to start acquiring a lot of that IP and yeah. bringing it in-house and developing their own stuff. But it's all very intriguing against the backdrop of Amazon's imminent arrival in South Africa. Yeah, but it's been kicked down the can a little bit as far as I know. Um, a little. I mean, you know, they've run into problems with the mega premises they were trying to create in, uh, not Rondebosch, where is that? Uh, Observatory. Observatory. Um, so that became a bit of a sticking point. Um, but, you know, Amazon's so big that these things just don't bother it at all, you know. <laughs> Talking about other things that have been kicked down the, kicked down the road, um, WOAN, the Wide Open Access Network. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about this in some of our first our first episodes, which is now three and a bit years ago, of course. WOAN, um, they've decided to put the development of the national um, network down a bit until they sell off the 5G licenses. Because once they've sold off the 5G spectrum, then they will have a better idea of how they're going to engineer the WOAN. That's the thinking. For those who can't remember what a WOAN is, it's supposed to be a huge national network built on a lot of the infrastructure that's already in place. And they'll become like a wholesale uh, seller of bandwidth to other providers and so on. But the government feels the need to have some level of control of that, so they're trying to do it at a nationalized level. Mm. Yeah, it was still in the Benny Abrams' big little project, mm. and obviously she's not in that portfolio anymore. Thank goodness. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> she had some great ideas, man. Oh, the no, no, she's sort of thing. A lot of she missteps, man. Pioneered a lot of a lot of those programs and stuff. She can look back at her tenure. And smile at some of you think? the theoretical accomplishments. I'm not smiling because very little was achieved. And we've been through so many telecoms ministers. But remember, Incasa like... is independent by design. Yes. So the whole spectrum thing and that is a whole other situation. Okay. All right. But the fact is we still haven't got our digital TV thing going. And it is rolling out, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, the free state has completely on. switched off in terms of analog signal. Yeah. They're doing Limpopo. There's big drives. And by the middle of end of 2022, I think everyone will be on. Yes, which brings March. The... March is the threshold for formally turning stuff on and off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So there are pilot projects happening. Um, the only advice I can give now is I hope my homie Werner at Sacher <laughs> is following through on the story that I gave him of like cataloging all of the TVs you can buy today that have digital built in tuners built in. Yes. It's almost everything above the sort of 5,000, yeah. everything above the 8,000 rand. Yeah, mark, I think I uh, the yeah. Samsung Series 5, like 32-inch stuff as well, which is sitting like at 3,500 rand now. You think that those also, yes, Wow, those that's in. amazing. Okay. Yeah, so you can watch all the Chinese channels and virtual <laughs> learning that you want right now. For those who don't even know what we're talking about, uh, you're probably aware that South Africa was supposed to move to a digital TV platform. The point there is that instead of a single TV station occupying a huge chunk of radio wave spectrum, they can actually hone it down to a very tiny yeah. uh, single radio wave spectrum, which then leaves up lots of uh, frees up lots of extra radio waves to do other kinds of yeah. Uh, things Specifically in the 5G bands. Yes, yes. And so Yeah, 5G is still not a thing, Gavin. So we're now something like five years behind on that program where we were supposed to be. And one day, one day, one day is one day. Uh, okay. Uh, the other things, I have a crazy theory. <laughs> yes, of course you do. <laughs> so remember last time we spoke, um, Apple 
or at least the last time you listened to us, Apple <laughs> had launched a kind of launch. They announced that they will be launching a repair it yourself program right. for the iPhones 12 and 13. My crazy theory is that they are targeting those two models because those are the two models where MagSafe wireless charging on the phone became a thing. And they are now realizing that in about a year's time, iPhone 12 owners are going to be really pissed off at the state of their battery because uh -huh. Apple said, I must wireless charge this thing. Okay, explain to us a little bit about what MagSafe is, just for those who are not So, MagSafe is just, it's a wireless charge, that, so it uses the, the Qi wireless charging that's standard. QI. Mm -hmm. And it's just magnets that align it correctly on the coil um, on the back of the iPhone, which is quite nifty, because one of the biggest problems with wireless charging is sometimes you don't put the phone on the charging mat correctly, and if you're like me, you cover up the little blue light, or whatever color light it is that shows that it's charging, um, so that it doesn't blind you at night, mm. um, then you wake up the next morning and your phone hasn't charged. Right. So why are they... So you're saying that Apple is issuing... Um, kits to swap out your battery because they, because they know that the MagSafe business is going to fuck up your battery. Excuse my yes, language. Um, mm. Yeah, because wireless charging does mess up your battery. Okay. Because one it of trickle the, charges, basically. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's more the heat that it builds yes, up. It, yes. It's hugely inefficient um, uh, contact charging. Yeah. Um, for those who, again, have never used it and are unaware, you've probably all seen cordless toothbrushes. You just take your cordless toothbrush and you plop it on this little stand. It doesn't actually, uh, there's no metal-to-metal -metal contact that is visible there, but the charge still somehow gets into the it toothbrush. It induces yes, the charge. Yes, uses induction, but it's very inefficient. It's fine with a toothbrush, only a tiny amount of power. But when you're trying to charge up a 5,000 milliamp hour battery on a phone, the inefficiency can be quite irritating. It's gotten better, obviously, over yes. the years, but so, it's still a long way from being friendly. Yeah, and now we, we're just kind of pumping up the wattage. So I think uh, they are now at 15 watts in terms of the throughput of the energy. But that just creates a lot of heat within the battery as well and degrades your battery faster. So okay. it's bad for the environment because you're using a lot more energy than you should be. You're using, losing half your energy yeah. to, to heat and other things. Yeah, it's, it's about half now. They got it. They got it. To be a lot more efficient than it used to be, but just by is, increasing like the number of windings on that copper coil. But remember, this is just Lindsay's theory. In truth, what's going on is that Apple has come under a lot of pressure about how its devices get repaired and how it voids warranties and things if anyone touches the phone that's not Apple and so on. And for most people, having Apple repair your device is just impractical at many levels, not to mention the cost. So most of us want to take it down to the corner store. That kind of thing. You can never do that really with an iPhone. You could, but it would always result in problems. Now, you can get the official parts from Apple and the official repair kit, which will have, you know, the little tools you need and uh, an Apple formal, formally made part for your phone. So, not just, is it just phones or are they allowing repairs on other things too? It's the phones first and then I think they're going to start to do Laptops. the MacBooks and, and yeah, that sort of yeah. thing. Um, yeah, talking about the competitors, which is Android, um, Android 11 is now 20, represents 24.3% of all installs on Android devices. Okay. So that's a quarter of all phones are getting the Android phones are, getting... are running Android 11. 26.5. I've, I've lost track now. Is Android 12 formally out yet? Or yes. What? 
Android 12 is out okay. in our market. It only exists on the Samsung Galaxy S21 series. Okay. So everyone else is still on 11, but they'll yes. be looking for when the upgrade might come down to them to get yeah. to 12. Yes. Okay. So you're saying that 20, a quarter of the market is still running Android 11, yes. which is last year's operating yeah. system, and which is perfectly good. 26.5% is running Android 10. Previous to that, yes. And 18.2% is running Android 9. Yeah, this doesn't surprise and me And then just under 10% is running 8.1. Okay, but what's startling is all these statistics you have for Android that's even much older than that. Yes. So we've got Android on here that's five, six, seven, eight years old, and it still constitutes quite big percentages, like, you know... Yeah, I'm Android 6.0 is like 5.1%. Okay. Yeah, and no, so it's, 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 it's absolutely crazy okay. that the, the problem, fragmentation is so bad. The problem here is that you and I monitor how Android changes because we get all these phones passing through our hands yes. all the time. I mean, someone who, who bought their phone on Android 10, you know, I, I don't know if they're looking for all the benefits that are coming from Android 11. They're not even aware of them. I mean, they will derive the benefits if they were to upgrade to Android 11, but they are unaware of what they're... <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have an authentic cold. It's not a COVID-related cold, so by the way. So it's a coronavirus, not the <laughs> coronavirus. Uh, okay. Just to be clear. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. So what 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 um, Lindsay is highlighting is what we call fragmentation in the market, where we have so many different phones and so many different operating systems that it becomes impossible to build an app that will work on everyone, to develop a service mm -hmm. that will work on every phone because they're not all going to work the same way. So, you know, it's a bit complicated for developers, especially when so many people are still on the older operating systems. Yeah, which is, is interesting. We had an interest, I had a situation with my sister-in-law. Mm. She was selling her iPad. So it's an iPad fourth generation. Mm, that's nice. So this is like 2014, mm -hmm. I think. Sure. Okay. Problem is, it's the last 32-bit iPad uh, before they changed to 64-bit. Uh, so, like, for me, I was like, wow, I can buy this for like 500 bucks. Uh, and then my son can have an iPad. Yeah. And then I was like, my son plays Minecraft on his mother's iPad. Yeah, yeah. And Minecraft is not going to run on a 32-bit. Uh, okay. <laughs> sure. But, <laughs> which yeah. is, but, which is, but the, other thing, the other thing you brought up was that you have vague regrets about having sold your top-end Samsung because else now you could have Android yes, 12. Yes, I would have had the new Shiny. But and then I I'm challenged just... you to tell me what was so cool about Android 12 that you had to have it. And your yeah, your comment was, well, I just like new things. Yes, yeah. it's, it's the new Shiny. But, I, but I like do to you be think, current. But if someone were to ask you today, I've got a two-year-old phone. Should I upgrade to Android 12 when it comes? What would you say to them? If yes. they have a two-year-old phone. Yes. Yes. If, if, the, if it's in the pipeline. So here's the, the thing. So you love Nokia. I do. <laughs> you have a Nokia 9 PureView. Yes, I do. And I have others too. Yes. I love my Nokias. But mm. the Nokia 9 PureView will yes. not be getting Android 11 even. Okay. Um, Nokia announced yesterday. Really? So their whole thing okay. is pure, secure, and up-to-date in mm. terms of the Android but that was, their, that was their story that they started running with last year. But, I mean, the, but the extra code that they have to put on top of that to make the cameras work mm. is just too much. And it's incompatible with Android 11 and zero compatibility with, with Android okay. 12. So I guess what we're saying is Android 12, one of the benefits I'm aware of that has come with every new edition of Android is better power efficiency, better management yeah. of how your battery dies. And... That is the kind of thing that's applicable across the board for everyone. So that would be one good reason to upgrade your Android if you can. Mm. Yeah. 
But yeah, fragmentation is a thing because a lot of these phones, especially with Android manufacturers, different manufacturers are running different kind of features on their phones. Yeah. And that is just extra code that needs to be added on top. That's why it, it's so slow to put out the updates yeah. for a lot of these guys. And then the optimizations, even at the network level, your network provider then has to put its own Yes. Stamp of approval, if you will, yes. on top of that. So just about every phone manufacturer adds things to Android to create what they believe will be a better experience for you than if you just use plain Android. So they dress it up a little with a couple of extra features and so on, but that makes it impossible to roll out upgrades for Android 12 to every single phone because whoever made that phone has already doctored the operating system a little bit. So you can't just take and you can't just take Google's Android 12 and loaded on the phone. It has to come from your manufacturer. And they are unwilling to do that for phones going back more than like a year or for phones which they didn't sell many of. Yeah. But it does create problems. So not everyone will have these options available to them. The The big mainstream phones usually get uh, an update at some point. Yeah. So, you know, um, Android, I mean, Samsung's S-series phones, for example, will usually get an upgrade eventually. Mm. But talking about other things, so, like, we know the problems with Windows 11, and it doesn't work with, like, older-gen processors mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of that thing. But Android, like, we, Android, Windows 10 is still perfectly fine, although yes. the last update, the last feature update, has been a bit problematic in terms of its install. Yeah, we hear things. We hear things. But I feel as though... It hasn't been a big enough thing, or else it would have been like a multinational drama. It's obviously just, you know, glitches they're picking up. It's tricky, though, when you've got an installed base of billions of Windows users yeah. on hundreds of thousands of different kind of PC configurations. It's hard to make one product that's going to work across all of them. So much easier for Apple. It's only got a small number of products against which its operating system has to run. It controls both the hardware and the software. Very easy to keep things under control. Much harder for the rest so of the market. So here's the solution to the problem. One of the solutions is to move the operating system to the cloud, or to yes, the internet. Yes, yes, like yes. Like a Chromebook. Like brother. a Chromebook, yes. You've been talking to a few <laughs> people about Chromebooks. Yes. Um, there's a guy called John Solomon, a Saffer, a South African, who got his engineering degree at Stellenbosch. He is now the head of Chromebooks for Google International. It's a hugely prestigious position. Chromebooks have always been... A difficult proposition. Chromebooks are technically laptops that are not using Windows. They're using Google's operating system called Chrome OS. Chrome EM? No, Chrome OS. Um, that's Google's operating system. And then your computer functions like an internet terminal, basically. It, it mostly wants to be connected to the internet all the time to work properly. You can work, you know, not connected to the internet, but it really does want to be connected to the internet. And one of the benefits here is that the operating system, even though it does run on the device, can be instantly and easily updated over the internet all the time. So schools find that attractive because they can make sure devices are secure and up-to-date all the time without having to manually fix each Chromebook. And there are other applications as well. And in countries where connectivity is ubiquitous, Chromebooks have become very attractive because they're a lot cheaper in most cases because you're mm. not paying for the Windows license, for one thing. Um, and so they, they're struggling to get them to take off in South Africa, but now... Our connectivity has reached a point where it's almost viable to work with a Chromebook. And so John Solomon, the South African VP in charge of Chromebooks, is visiting South Africa and we'll be interviewing him in Tech Magazine to find out what he sees as the Chromebook opportunity in South Africa. Meanwhile, every other day, somebody is launching a Chromebook. So Lenovo announced some last week, Acer announced some this week. So people keep launching them. It's just I don't know anyone who's working on a Chromebook yet. 
except perhaps for Lindsay's young daughter. Who's, uh, how, how's that worked out? Is, uh, is it possible for her to work on the Chromebook as a, as a main computer? Yes, actually. Mm. It's been a revelation. Mm. Um, whereas, like, she, she has an iPad Pro, um, an older, my old one, mm. um, and accessing all her school stuff through Safari's browser has been the solution. But the Chromebook is, like, just this first-party thing where it, it just kind of works because their school, their stuff is administered through like Google Classroom and they do all the, the remote stuff on uh, Meets and all of that stuff. Mm, so the school's using a lot of the Google products. Yeah, already. and they use yeah. Chromebooks at school as ah, well. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, mm. So it's just like a one-to-one -one fit for her cool. and with the fast internet that we have now, actual right. broadband. <laughs> Thank you, Rain 5G. <laughs> he, he thanks them every week. Like, he feels so blessed. He feels so blessed. But if you've been living under the conditions he has, you'd also feel blessed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, she's completed a couple of projects uh, mm. where she was using, like, uh, OneDrive, uh, not OneDrive. Um, what's the thing called? Google Drive? Uh, no. the, yes, and the, what's the... The G Suite stuff. Okay. Google uh, Docs. Docs. Google Docs. Sheets. And yeah. I, I am now yeah. going to introduce her to the beauty of um, Office 365 oh. in the browser as well. Okay. Um, It'll so, be in the browser, of So course, that yeah. she doesn't have to deal with okay. <laughs> the irritations of, of Google Docs. All um, right. She's definitely my child. She has pointed out almost like the standard five things that I absolutely despise <laughs> of Google Docs. But why okay. does it do this? Why uh, does it do okay. that? And right. why, why does when I do that like, and it does oh, that? Sorry, my darling. <laughs> Limitations of technology. <laughs> but outside of that, it has, it has been quite, quite a revelation. I can actually see a lot of people who don't do like heavy on-device computing. Mm -hmm. um, like if you're accessing remote servers, if... Um, you're just doing a bit of typing, a bit of internet use, yeah. a bit of browsing, a Collaborating bit of Collaborating on, like, on projects, like yeah. on browser-based apps. Mm. Um, the Chromebook is a great opportunity for you. Yes, it's light and it's pretty quick usually. So, interestingly, Chromebooks have grown to now more than 10% of the market of laptops, which is bigger than uh, Apple, for example. Mm. Um, so, 10% of, of laptops in the world are now Chromebooks. That's very heavily weighted in the U.S. where, you know... Um, Constant connectivity is fairly cheap and, you know, available. And to be fair, like companies like Samsung with DeX, mm. um, Samsung's DeX, their desktop operating experience, mm. uh, do come very close mm. on the mobile to the Chrome experience, the Chromebook, the Chrome OS experience. Right. Uh, just a reminder there, DeX is uh, you plug your Samsung phone into your monitor. Yeah. And you use the compute power of the phone as a computer with a whole desktop operating system yes, appearing on the monitor. Yes. So you're using your compute, you're using your phone like it's a desktop computer. Mm. Yeah. So like bizarrely, the Google apps aren't really they don't scale that well mm. to it. Um, but the Microsoft suite mm. does very well. So like the Edge browser, you can work it so that it shows you um, the desktop versions of sites. Mm -hmm. um, Office 365, the unified app, that plays very well with, with larger displays mm -hmm. as well. Yep. yep. Um, and it, it plays well with kind of like the dark mode stuff. Uh, they, they put a lot of work into that. Microsoft deserves a lot of lot of Okay. Care. So if you maybe are passing on a S10, S20, an older flagship Samsung device mm -hmm. to your youngin, um, hooking that up to like a keyboard a and a monitor. They might be able to use it as a computer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we've been championing this idea for a while because it means, you know, your computing is centered in one device. Everything is available all the time. Um, it hasn't quite gained the traction I would hope it has. It would have gained. But, you know, maybe long term it will still work out that your handset becomes your primary computer. Yeah. And now with Omicron variant and future variants still going to ravage us <laughs> and keep us in that will-they-won't-they-lock-us-down sort of situation. <laughs> like my kids' school is closing a week early now um, because they like, Half of the most of the network is up in Joburg, and they're like rising infections. We want to keep our kids safe, but I think the the teachers also just want a little break. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. So they're like, oh yeah, we're just closing at the end of this week, actually, mm, not pushing okay. it to, into next week. All right. So yeah, there there might be still an opportunity for these technologies to really take root. Mm. Um, but yeah, I I think a lot of companies have run out of steam yeah, when it does sure, come to that. Sure. But this podcast will continue to champion it, <laughs> even though, dear listener, <laughs> this is actually the last episode <sighs> of the Overclock ZA. We're artificially podcast. jovial because we've actually been drinking heavily. <laughs> um, yeah, we have decided to sign off. Um, after three years of every service. week, every week, I've had to talk to this guy every week. Can you believe it? Uh, there's a new thing coming in the feed and we'll give you details about that um, right before we launch it. Uh, but for now, this is the end of Overclock ZA. And as a grand finale, as a little victory lap, we just want to revisit a few things that we have spoken about, like Gavin's ongoing <laughs> bromance. <laughs> One-sided bromance with Andre de Reiter. Is that your personality <laughs> of the year? Yeah, I, I, you know, the reason is he's got the toughest job in the world. He didn't need this job. He didn't need the money or the job. He took it on because he had a will to drive this thing to make it, to make it work. And that's going to benefit every single South African across the board. I don't know how many people other than Cyril we could say have a job that is going to fundamentally affect every single South African. Andre de Reis is one of those. He's a no-nonsense guy. He's busy exposing corruption at the organization. And despite all the load shedding, I think he's doing a, an excellent job so far. So Andre de Reis has my full support. And the only reason Andre de Reis makes it onto our podcast is because without electricity, our whole little world of tech doesn't exist. So, so he's kind of the god maker, as it were. Mm. Okay. Um, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Mm. I'm going to say former South African technology journalist Simon Dingle, mm. one of the co-founders, or at least one of the original 10 first employees at Luno, okay. has now moved on to start a stable coin that is pegged to the RAND Interesting. Um, called, what's it, Zap or... I forget. Yes. Okay. Yes. So yeah, so he's si like he's like the ultimate South African crypto bro. Yeah, I find he... him a little bit irritating, but just his his steadfast commitment. Yes, I mean he wrote a book about cryptocurrency like two years ago before anyone even knew what it was. Basically, you know, I mean obviously we knew what it was, but before anyone in the general public understood cryptocurrency, he was explaining it to them. He wrote a book. He's been the champion of cryptocurrencies, and it does seem like. Crypto is with us now to stay and could yeah. well become a de facto um, currency in the future. So, Do I think he's a bit batshit crazy? <laughs> yes, I do. But do I respect his hustle? And has he taught me a lot about like NFTs and the, just the cultural impact mm. of crypto and its future relevance? 
Yes, so Simon Dingle. Simon Dingle. My. Okay, can you can you know the name, name of his book? I can't remember. I forget. I forget. Oh, okay. But dude, like, go buy his coin. Um, <laughs> other, other people who were in the running for personality of the year was Elon Musk. I mean, barely, of Pretoria. barely a day goes by that we don't hear from I, Elon. I am still, I'm still convinced that most people do not understand that the single biggest influence influential factor in Elon Musk's rise to fame and fortune has been Pretoria. <laughs> yes. His experience surviving Pretoria. Pretoria. <laughs> yeah, surviving Pretoria is like, you know, um, as a as, as point of contrast to where he is now. I actually find him, for a multi-billionaire, one of the wealthiest people on the planet, I find him surprisingly down to earth. And he, he just doesn't come off as someone who's interested in the money. It's like he has a vision for the future, and that's what he's that's what that's what he's driving towards. That's what drives him. It's a vision of how we could live, how we should live. And he has single-handedly pioneered, you know, the electric car market, the trips to space, all these things. Um, you know, extraordinary mind. And whatever you might say about him and his eccentric ways, he's eccentric because, you know, he's just a cut above your average human. I mean, I have to just say it as it is. Um I don't think he thinks he's a cut above your average human, but to us he is. He's got a grand vision that other people have now bought into, including myself. The other person on the list is Tim Apple. Tim Cook. <laughs> Tim Cook. <laughs> Stop. It's not cool anymore, man. Okay, okay. Yeah, because uh, we all we call him Tim Apple because that's what um, former President Trump called him, <laughs> Tim Apple. But Tim has taken the company to a place in a direction that Steve Jobs, I think, would never have endorsed or signed off on. It is now financially maybe the most, uh, uh, the most uh, what company in the world, the most well-endowed company in the world. Um, he has he's masterminding how people are interfacing with the, inter the internet age and the information age, um, and he hasn't really put a foot wrong, as far as I can tell. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, definitely. And while I don't love Apple and its products, you've got to hand it to Tim for taking their product to the mass, mass, mass market. So you know, everybody and their dog. Yeah. Yeah, and tempering that that hefty price tag now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. now they they they're the champion of of the of the of the average consumer. Yeah, well, like, okay, I wouldn't go that far. Okay, it could also, of course, if my theories play out, it could turn out that he's also the next major dictator in the world. Oh, my know? gosh. Okay, if we moving, on, <laughs> moving on, moving on, moving on. <laughs> if we insist on mediating all our experiences through our damn iPhone and through our MacBook, then Tim actually has control of how we see the world. Okay, never mind. Moving on. Moving on. Gavin, story of the year, definitely mm. payments. Digital payments have come leaps and bounds in yeah. 2021. Now you have all these super apps, Vodapay being one of them. So, like, super apps are... Just apps that do everything. Yeah. So like you can pay your bond and your electricity and order for food. your friends. Yeah, you can order food and pay for your coffee and like uh, everything. Tap to pay at the market or yeah, like or and like buy airtime and data and like everything in one app. These are just blowing up everywhere. Yeah. So the the market leader there, the runaway market leader, is WeChat in China. It does all these things. It's like a portal through which everything else is done. Um, I think it's possible to do that in China where the whole market is more heavily regulated. Mm. Um, but you might right now be using a super app. That's one app that you use to do multiple things. Um, 
I mistakenly put down tap to pay as the story of the year, but Lindsay corrected me. It's actually about payments in general. Mm. Tap to pay is really a subset of how we're doing all our electronic payments now. But tap to pay, I put down because, you know, when I see like 70-year-olds taking out their ABSA card at the pick and pay and tapping and walking off, I'm like, sure, but man, if 70-year-olds can get that right, then this technology is now, you know, penetrating right the, down. And the editor of The Continent's largest <laughs> consumer technology <laughs> publication I can't do it. <laughs> My card won't tap. My card won't tap because it's old and I just haven't got around to replacing it. My credit card and taps. like you insist on using the wearables <laughs> That are the worst for that sort of for thing. Tapping. Yeah, I mean, Lindsay will tap on his watch. He will tap on his phone. He will tap on anything he's got with him. He'll probably tap on his tablet if he could. Yes. Okay, so payments and how we pay for things electronically, even if you just think about how internet banking has changed. And yeah, EFTs and, and even so like on. South African like startups like Azao, um, where they the de facto payment option now for... Um, What's him call it? Take, Take a lot. lot. Mm. Yeah, they've they've ousted PayFast. Like PayFast right. used to be in there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just how crypto is also building into these things. Mm. Uh, these people so, are looking at our studio. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that. fogging up with all the <laughs> heavy breathing going on in here. Um, yeah. So payments definitely story of the year. Okay. Close runner up. I would say probably load shedding again for the reasons I gave with the rater. It's affecting the greatest number of people and their use of technology the greatest. Yeah. Yeah, but I think we we are we are a lot further down the line now than we used to be. Where thanks to again startups like um, Eskom Sapush, uh, the the ESP app. Yeah, we, and the we can like now. That. It's a lot more predictable, and yeah. that's all you need to plan around it. Yeah. yeah. Um, other other things I've put on as a possibility is the Mars rover, but that's a very geeky kind of thing. But I think it's really cool that we've now utilized today's current technology, real-time relays of video feed from Mars to Earth. You know, that's quite impressive. Well, real-time. Well, real-time. It takes a long time to travel from <laughs> Mars to Earth, but it's as close as possible to real-time. And, uh, the, and the fact that we flew a helicopter on Mars. You yeah. know, that's like hella And impressive. the fact that we now... Hitting asteroids, yeah, 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 yeah colliding yeah. Yeah, satellites yeah, yeah. and asteroids, so we can just see what I, I, I like what the space industry is doing now. Again, credit to Elon Musk, um, getting the astronauts up and down from yeah, yeah, like catching a bus. You know, yeah. every every other week they're sending stuff back and forth to the space station. Yeah, Very commercializing cool. of of the space of space is is a big thing. Not so impressive or less impressive. Is Jeff Bezos's yes, his constant. penis to the sky? Oh my yeah. goodness, man! Shame. I mean, I, the poor man's getting vilified because he, you know, just because he took a ride in his own substandard. And then rocket. he took William Shatner. Yeah, and it's like, okay. Just stop. <laughs> like Elon has you. Like, please. yeah, and no. you can't, you can't deal with, you can't deal with not being the winner at everything this, all the time. This isn't even a fight. He's right like taking now. his ball and going home. Yeah. Okay. And then we should finish on. Oh no, we're not quite finished. But yeah, we're going to discuss product. Product of the year. You go okay, first. Okay, I'll go first because Lindsay's got a lot to say. I'll I don't actually have, in. I have more to say on your one than <laughs> okay. else. So I feel as though I stumbled on this product category, frankly. It's because it's something I'd never used before. It was the first time it looks like a very ordinary product, but the more you use it, the more you understand it. I'm talking about smart monitors. So these look like a regular monitor. You've got your laptop plugged into a monitor so you can work in comfort and so on. But actually, there's now a lot of intelligence built into the monitor itself. The monitor itself can connect to the internet. The monitor itself can run apps like Netflix and Prime Video. And it even runs Office 365 on the monitor itself. So you can actually use Microsoft Office 
and edit documents and send emails without any computer at all. And, you know, this to me was quite a revelation, especially since the price of the one I used was very reasonably priced. It was about 5,000 Rand for the first one I tested. It was a nice big monitor. The monitor itself was average to good, but it had all the ports I needed, all the functions I needed, and I ended up routinely watching television on my monitor because it had, comes with a remote control. You can fire up your Netflix and so on. And um, that to me felt like a whole new product category for people who don't want to have a TV and a workspace. They just need, they're living in a small apartment, perhaps they're a student, perhaps they're just living in downtown Hong Kong where space is at a premium. They have one thing that serves both as a smart TV and as a monitor for doing your work. So for me, that's, there's a cost saving in there in the first place that would be applicable for South Africans. Even South Africans living in, say, an informal settlement now need not buy something to do uh, computing on and something to watch TV on. You can buy one device that does both. So to me, that was quite an important issue. It's a new product category that I hope to see more of, smart monitors. Yeah. The one uh, I reviewed, by the by, was from Samsung. At the moment, they're the only people I know of who've got those available regular at retail, but we know that lots of other companies are developing them too. Uh, to a lesser extent, I was up in Johannesburg for the launch of the Huawei Nova 9 and the MateView GT, which is a gaming monitor, mm. 160 hertz mm. display, mm. Um, 1440p, and it has a built-in soundbar. Right, in the, base. In, the, in the base, yeah. yeah. Mm. So the original MateView <coughs> is a, a smart adjacent monitor. <coughs> so it has enough smarts in it to be able to like switch between different devices mm. like on the fly, but it doesn't have the compute power uh, yeah. um, that, that the, the Samsung one has, mm. Which, mm. which I'm still very intrigued with. Samsung, if you're listening, I know we are signing off this podcast, but I am still that opinion guy.co.za. Um, <laughs> Send me one oh, of those ones. Okay, tell us about your fancy product then. Um, a product which I may, I'll just say at the outset is applicable for less than 1% of the population. Oh okay, do continue, do continue. Do the people. Um, anyway, mm. yes. So, the MacBook M1, MacBook Pro M1 Pro. So, for me, that is the product of the year because it shows you what a professional laptop should be right now you can sit like six seven hours away from a charger on this bad boy you can do anything video <laughs> video editing like major compute tasks on this bad boy and have the same kind of output as you would well the max will the m1 max chip gives you the same output as like a desktop machine mm -hmm. kind of but it's just moved silicon computing silicon forward by like generations yeah so the story of last year would have been apple's m1 chip and this yeah. year they released new iterations of it that frankly made the previous ones look pretty old even though the previous ones were already miles ahead of the rest of the industry so that puts apple now at least two steps ahead of the rest of the industry yeah yeah, yeah so that for me the, the pro the m1 pro those macbooks just sit in that sweet spot of like compute power and battery efficiency um, so that's my thing of the year. But as the wheel turns, Qualcomm just unveiled its latest system on a chip for flagship smartphones called the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. 
the it, names, man. I wish they would get the stuff right. Okay. And this is built on Samsung's 4 nanometer processor. Mm. But importantly, we spoke about it last week, or at least on the last podcast. It has the ARM V9 architecture, which is the next generation of ARM architecture. And this is something like Apple hasn't put out silicon with this architecture on this architecture okay, right because yeah i mean apple chips are also based on arm designs yeah. although they're heavily augmented by apple's you know features um yeah but now i don't understand why they're calling it eight series when we've already had snapdragons with eights in their name it's a hell of a confusion yeah so they've just they've tried to simplify it more now so instead of having like a triple eight or eight six five yeah, yeah. or seven six five you're now going to have just the series number and then what generation it is. Okay. So they're starting with Gen 1 across all of them. So you'll have a, a Snapdragon 7, a 6, and a 4. I think that, yes, that's okay. how it runs. All right. So the 8 is the flagship. 7 is premium mid-range. 6 is mid-range. And then 4 is but, entry-level but budget. Think, think about how this stuff has been globalized, though. I mean, you know, when Trump decided to lock Huawei out of its market, for example... I don't think he took cognizance of how global some of this technology now is. Qualcomm is producing a chip based on designs from a British company, but they're actually manufacturing it with Samsung in Korea, yeah. for example. I mean, it's unbelievably globalized, you know. Mm. Yeah, and that's kind of kind of the story. That's our story, man. I um, am hoping that we have brought value to your life as a consumer of technology. I hope that the trends, the tips the news, the interpretations, the accessibility that we brought you has been helpful. Okay. And if you if you think you might miss us, I sincerely hope you do think you'll miss us, please do send us an email to overclockedza at gmail.com and we will get back to you. Tell your friends about it. We're still open to providing tech advice as required. And, you know, with enough interest, we might consider reviving our show. But for now, we've got so many demands on our time. As much value as we wanted to add to the South African um, techno sphere, we feel like we've done our very best. We've given it three years without being paid a cent for any of it. And we hope that you will inspire us to do something cool like this again. So do mail us where appropriate. Okay. You know what, Kevin? Mm. I have a little video, I have a little audio clip here uh -huh. from someone who's been on the podcast many times, right. Akram Muhammad, Akram Muhammad, the champion of, of Huawei. Huawei, South Africa. Right. And here's what he has to say. This is the first time that you're actually going to be listening to it. Okay. Um, thank you for I think, always being open with us and giving us the opportunity. It's, it's a tough space to be. I don't think brands, Huawei and everybody else realizes, um, you know, when you have to keep journalistic um, integrity, how difficult that is, um, and, and be open-minded and still give everybody an opportunity, but still be real and true to yourself. Um, and I just want to say thank you for always being fair, um, always having us and inviting us, but uh, at the same time, you know, whilst we want to be able to push the best brand narrative possible, um, you guys have a job to do, but you kept it professional, and uh, we've always been able to have this kind of conversation, mm. and we really, really appreciate that. And I think going into the future, also, we wish you guys the best. I think to your readers, to your listeners, for your podcast, is, you know, we're in crazy times now. It's um, unpredictable. So also in this getting to festive, we're not sure what's going to happen with COVID. So just, just be well, be safe, take care. And hopefully we can have another chat like this in 2022. And thank you, Akram. I, I hope, yeah, we, 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 will, we will do this again. We will do this again. Gavin, just to sign off. Yes. What is the biggest trend? 
that people should look out for well, in 2022? There's global stuff, but I think we must think local. And local, we're looking at streaming services, mainly because um, data has become progressively cheaper. And uh, most people on our in South Africa are working on smartphones and streaming services work superbly well on smartphones. People can have personalized viewing experiences, music, all these different services are coming to the mobile via streaming. And as our data speeds increase and the prices decrease, I think we're going to see a lot more streaming services in South Africa. And that's a good thing, I feel. I don't think there can be any more streaming services. <laughs> yeah, we've got like five or six yeah, music we, and we, seven or eight we, video. Quite done. I finally subscribed to um, Apple One uh -huh. uh, because I think there was like 20 rand in it. Okay. Um, it was like 20 rand more than I'm spending anyway. Anyway, uh -huh. And I'm getting like, I don't think That's I'm good. ever going to use Apple Arcade, but okay. you know, we, yeah, we yeah. don't know. Right. Um, for me, 5G mm. will finally mm. deliver on some of the product promise that it showed. Sure. So, sure. And I mean, you can now buy 5G phones for like 4,000 Rand. Yeah. So now it really has penetrated to that level where... Buying a phone without 5G actually needs a complicated argument. You know, you really should be future-proofing yourself when you can get a 5G phone at 4,000 Rand. 5G I don't definitely think so going much mainstream. on the phone, more to home. The 5G to home connection is as good as a fiber to home connection. Interesting, yes. In yes, many sure. ways. The latency is not quite there. Like the jitter is a bit crazy. Mm -hmm. um, it's up and down like a kid on a trampoline. Um, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> just in terms of productivity let's, enhancement. Let's, let's keep in mind that before cell phones came along, um, only a small percentage of the South African population actually had telephones in their home. They were just cut off from the infrastructure entirely. And as a result, most of those people never had ADSL. But now everyone needs broadband. And it's just obvious that broadband will come wirelessly. And 5G is the pinnacle of that technology right now. So... Big up wins for South Africa, especially if they get this uh, licensing thing on the go and done, so that you know we can see massive expansion. Yeah, we're going to look. I think mm. they're looking at March for that, that yeah, kind of yeah, licensing. Yeah. But anyway, I am Sharpshooters S H A R P S C H U T T E R S. That's on Twitter and on Instagram, and thatopinionguy.co.za is where you find me on the internet. I don't post often because I am super busy and important. I don't have a lot of time for social media, truth be told. And also, I don't feel like I have a whole lot to contribute there. I sometimes leech a bit of information off social media, but I don't feel I'm making a worthy contribution and there's so much bloody noise. So I just ignore it. However, Tech Magazine has a very vibrant Facebook page. So you can always post there if you want to know anything about what's coming up in the magazine or even any tech questions. You can post on the Tech Magazine Facebook page. That's Tech Magazine Czar, one word on Facebook, you can find us there. Or, as I said before, you can email us to overclockedza at gmail.com and we hope to hear from you. It's been a great ride, Lindsay, my man. Yeah, it's been awesome, man. Okay, we're over and out. Cheers, for the last time. Bye. That makes me very sad, actually. <laughs> You'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs>